0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com.
1: This morning, after our scripture reading, uh, we have um, a young man by the name of Samuel Husband who is going to bring Psalm 23 to us, and he... um, Phil's called to church planting is going to plant a church in Memphis, and but wanted to spend a year with our staff and kind of in our church and get the DNA of downtown church to take that to his church plant here in Memphis, and um, that fits so much into our vision because um, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus tell us to be comfortable. Uh, Jesus says go. And we see ourselves as a launching pad, and so uh, you've probably noticed that we've had different people preaching, and we're going to have different people preaching for the next few weeks um, because um, um, younger guys are coming along, and and we want to help develop them to send them um, or help them just use their gifts where they are, and. Um, somebody texted recently um, and said you know thank you for being so generous with your pulpit and and I know what he meant but this is not my pulpit this is not Michael's pulpit this is Jesus's pulpit (laughs) and and uh, and we have to have oversight of it and protection and but um, we want to see um, younger the younger generation being called up into ministry, equipped as well as they could be equipped because ministry is hard and sent out. And so we're so excited. Where is Samuel and Sarah Tyson? Y'all stand up. You've seen them around. Um it's good to have them here this morning. But um if Brittany would come now and read Psalm twenty three, then Samuel's gonna come bring God's word to us.
0: Good morning. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the reading of the word. Are we on? Good morning, downtown church. Um, Yeah, let me just say thank you, Richard and staff and family here. Y'all have welcomed me and my wife. Um, it's been really a breath of fresh air and overwhelming in some ways, uh, the welcome that y'all have re- that I have received from, from you. Um, and you can call me Sam or Samuel or Sammy or Cousin Sam or just, hey, you. I've answered to a lot of things. But um, the staff calls me Cousin Sam, and it's, it means the world to me, so I appreciate Uh, the chance to be here uh, and to, yeah, this is, this is God's, this is Jesus's pulpit, this is Jesus's word, uh, and he's the ultimate teacher, not me or anybody else, and so uh, right before uh, I jump in, let me just pray one more time. Let's pray. Father, uh, all we can do is chop wood, but yours is the fire, and so we ask that it would fall that your spirit would come and not necessarily make us hotter, but that you would warm our hearts and that you would teach our hearts and that you would change our hearts and that you would equip our hearts and make them bigger so that we might love you more and love one another. Lord, teach us what it means that you provide, that you protect and you pursue your sheep. Uh, Teach us, Jesus, by your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, I think we have some pictures uh, on the slide, maybe not, if they didn't make it up, don't worry about it, Uh, we do, okay, good, well, I don't know if you can read that, but um, when you think of sheep, I just, before we get into our little outline today, I want you, that's a sheep that has fallen over backwards, okay, so how many people grew up with sheep? Whoa, two people, awesome, well, I could get y'all to come up here and talk about it, because I didn't. Okay, and so I did a little study, and, and uh, what I found is that sheep can actually, at least they say this online, so it's got to be true, uh, they fall over, and they can't, literally can't get up. They can't on their own sometimes. But the Webster defines them as timid, defenseless creatures. So there's really three Ds I want you to think about. I want you to think about dumb, dirty, defenseless, okay? Um, they, uh, you, you can tell uh, they, they don't sense danger. They fail to learn from their mistakes. Does that sound familiar to anybody at all? I don't know. Uh, Next picture real quick. Just, oh, whoops, bah, right? Does anything sound dumber than bah, I don't know. But sheep will literally follow each other off cliffs or they'll be grazing on the edge and oops, right? Uh, All right, next picture. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just thought that was funny. What's grass, next picture. All right, last one. This is me. No, this is how I feel uh, when it comes to life sometimes. Any, anybody, anybody feel like life is overwhelming sometimes, and you don't know which way to go? And you're like, I thought I was eating. What happened? Um, and now I feel horrible, or I'm lost, or whatever. <clears throat> I wanted to show you those pictures, and I wanted to define a couple problems before we get into our outline. Our outline is really this, that, that Yahweh, the Lord, He provides for His sheep, he protects his sheep, and ultimately he pursues his sheep, and that's really good news for us. But before we do that, I want to, I want to talk to you about a little danger when it comes to the twenty third Psalm, because uh, if you're like me, you grew up hearing this all the time, or around the church, and or at funerals, or in hospitals, you know. And and we can very often we can sentimentalize this passage and what being a sheep really is, and what being a shepherd is like. Um, I remember my brothers telling me that. So, uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was an ex-marine sergeant, probably the toughest guy I've ever met. Uh, Got converted later in life, but uh, as he was dying, he was facing a lot of pain, physical pain in his life. And so, um, last days of his life, he's in so much pain, and uh, we, we sang to him, we were reading the Bible to him, and my oldest brother read the 23rd Psalm to him. And tear he wasn't crying for the pain. He was crying because my brother just read the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and tears started welling up and coming down and I, I want you to know that this psalm is for that For the death's dark valley. It's for it's for hospitals. It's for the dark valley It's for the awful stuff in life The scary stuff the big stuff, but I also want you to know like it's not just for old people in hospitals This is everyday stuff you need this like you need to breathe like you need to drink, like you need to eat, you need this daily. So this is a multi-purpose psalm, right? Multifaceted faceted it it's for every day of your life. This is your life, okay? Uh, that's the first thing. The first danger is that we sentimentalize it in that way. Uh, the second thing is, when you think of Jesus, like white folk, let me talk to you for a minute. Because everybody else knows, Jesus wasn't white, okay? Middle Eastern Jew, uh, we think of the Bee Gees, like Jesus with this long panting, Provy hair holding a sheep and he's like, it's like he just got out of the shower and he's holding a sheep to dry his hair. It doesn't make any sense. That's not what it looks like. So you're welcome. So sentimentalizing the sheep, the the shepherd, excuse me, is, it's not going to work for us. You need to think not of the Bee Gees or a hippie Jesus. I mean, Think more like Clint Eastwood, you're still way too white, but, but you know what I'm saying, Clint Eastwood, and uh, the good and the bad and the ugly, he sleeps outside, he rolls his own cigarettes, he makes people afraid because he's a bad dude in the sense that if you go after his own, he's going to get you, right? Jesus is a tough shepherd who can actually deal with your problems, okay? He's not the, anyway, I, I could get all, off on that a little, but we'll stop there. Don't sentimentalize the shepherd, what shepherds do, and when Jesus talks about it in the New Testament, he's the good shepherd. Uh, That's not all. That's dead gum right. I need that, okay? All right, last one. Uh, You know, sheep can be cute, I guess, uh, but they smell really bad, and they're loud and annoying, and they're so defenseless and dumb. Like, they're just problematic, Right? The Bible calls you, God's people, me, it calls us sheep hundreds of times and in a lot of ways that's not a compliment, okay? But when, what God does is he condescends, he wants you to understand your, the relationship he wants and he has with you, that you're in complete and total and utter need of him. But here's our problem, we don't celebrate and practice, rehearse our dependence, our need of a good shepherd. We want to be boss. I want to be the boss. I want to I be in control. And so our problem as we approach this psalm is what, what is really taken on head on by David. He, here's a guy who is leader, who's singing and praying about being led, okay? He is a boss underneath the boss, right? And I think the main reason we want to be the boss or we want to be in control is this. We, like Adam and Eve, and I'm just now setting my timer. It's my first time here, sorry, sorry, there we go. Um, we, like Adam and Eve, believe that first lie, right, of the enemy, that God, uh, God's a tight ass, okay, and I'm sorry if that offends you, but I think it's way more offensive to to God that we believe that, that we actually believe that God's a tight one, that he's holding out, okay, that's what we naturally, the world and we, even now, struggle with, we believe that God is withholding, that he's holding out, okay, and I want you to see this psalm, and we're going to ultimately deal with that ultimate lie. That we don't have to be in charge. We don't have to be boss. We don't have to attain or win. We just need the shepherd. So let's jump in. Our first point, the Lord, Yahweh, provides. If we were looking at the the Hebrew text, you'd see the word Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, it's the covenant name of God. And what you need to understand about that is this, that's not his disposition toward everyone, that's his disposition toward those who believe, in the covenant. So God makes promises and he keeps all his promises. And those who buy that for free get it, right? And so what David is saying out of the shoot is this, Yahweh, the God who reveals himself, the God who reveals himself to Moses and says, I have seen my peoples, I have seen my people, I have heard their cry, and I have come down to deliver them. That's the Yahweh who says, who David says, is my shepherd. He claims him as his own. So right out of the gate, we need to see that this is the way that God, the, the, the way that David sees God providing for all his sheep. Not just David, and it's not just, you know, the king of Israel who gets this special treatment. We're, we're a nation of priests and kings, okay? For those who know God as the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. But see, I want you to see, too, this is about the covenant, but it, this provision is also about this, there's this comprehensive nature in it. What do I mean by that? If you, if you open your Bible, if you look back at the, at the um, psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm reading the New Living Translation, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along paths, bringing honor to his name. You see, what David is talking about here. Is both meant uh, physical and spiritual nourishment and feeding and protection and guidance. In every way shape or form God is for all of you, body and soul, all of his creation, all of you. I love Harvey Kahn. You should read Harvey Kahn if you ever get the chance. Um, He was a professor in seminary, spent time. I love people who cross cultures. He he was a missionary overseas, uh, came back and really had a lot to say about himself learning, and and then others as well, but uh, one of the things he points out is that to be spiritual, to care for the spiritual, is to care about all of life. You know why? Genesis 1, the spirit hovered, and all of creation happened. You see, in the West, we divide this, oh, super spiritual stuff over here, and the physical stuff over here, and the Bible integrates it. like. Yes, we can talk about, like, distinctions and stuff, but look, at the end of the day, they go together. You can't separate them. Like, love for God, love for neighbor. We need to become more integrated in Hebrew in our thinking instead of being Western in our thinking sometimes, right? But here I want you to see that this comprehensive provision, it's not just that we, ha- we can lay down because we're tired and we know that nobody's going to get us. It's not that it's just that we're thirsty and we have physical drink. I want you to see that the heart of God's provision is really God's heart. It's God himself. God gives God. God gives you himself. And that's why David can say, I have all that I need. There's no FOMO here, you know, fear of missing out. How many people are just terrified when it comes to decisions? You go to the grocery store and there's 657 different kinds of uh, cereal, and I love cereal. And my wife knows it. She's like, don't go down the cereal aisle. Just don't do it. I get, I panic, right? With all this freedom, I don't know what to choose. And so I could be there all day. And that's a silly illustration, but life's overwhelming when you think of like, what do I do? If I, if I choose this, the word decision means to cut off. Because if you decide one thing, you cut off the rest. That's scary. If you ask me, which way do we go? I don't know. What do I do? I don't know. Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? Should I, I mean, fill in the blank. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We have a shepherd that might not like beam down a light from heaven and tell you exactly what to do, but here, here's kind of a grid for thinking about the Lord's leading you and guiding you. Is it, is it leading you closer to the shepherd? Is, is, it, is it causing more love for him and love for others? Knock it out. Is it, is it doing the opposite of that? Probably shouldn't do it, right? But when I think about God's provision, it's not just that he feeds you, that he calls you to lie down, that he, he leads you in paths of righteousness, loving him and loving others, but there, that he is there with you. He provides his own presence. We just sang, I love the songs you picked out. Man. That he provides himself, his own presence. So I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. Um, if you've ever felt like this, I, f- I feel like this regularly. Uh, and, and really, we don't have time to get into my whole testimony. But my whole story is one of, um, man, God, what are you doing? And then kind of calling uh, garbage on the whole faith thing, and acting like I don't, I, I can't trust you, I can't believe you. If you're really good, why'd you allow this to happen? Or if you allow, it, it, maybe you're not powerful enough to do anything about it, and therefore why would I worship you? Or if you're really good and loving, how, how could this happen? I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you're in the in the. <laughs> In the valley right now or you sense the darkness. Uh, But I was told a long time ago that when you can't tell what God's hand is doing, look at his heart. Trust his heart. You think the disciples when they saw Jesus on the cross were thinking, man, this is gonna bless our socks off for eternity. No, they were, they were, first they were running away. They were terrified and they were depressed, right? What I want you to see and when God provides, what, what is God providing for you, ultimately? So, I don't know what God's up to in your life right now. Or, you know, I do know that he's, Jesus loves us enough to tell you that if the world hated, hates uh, me, they're gonna hate you. And deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me is not a picnic. Um, and that you will experience trials and tribulations and trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, right? So, so our expectations need to shift from this American dream to following Jesus. Which dead government is hard. It's just hard, right? And yet, with him, with his presence, he makes it light. He makes it light. What is God up to? Man, David knew what it was like to want. Let me tell you something about David. He was anointed king, and he kills Goliath. He's on top of the world, and then Saul tries to kill him like 150 times. Like he's hiding in caves. I've never, nobody's ever physically tried to kill me that I know of, okay? I've had some enemies. Uh, I played football. I got hit a lot. So maybe they were trying to kill me, but not, not even in the same level, same category. David was hunted like a dead gum, like one of these sheep, like a, and Saul was the wolf. David w- would be in fear of want from all over. He had to act like he was crazy in front of the king of the Philistines after he killed Goliath right? He's foaming at the mouth. David would have known what it was to be like. So when you think about the life of David, it's not that he was just this perfect dude and had it all figured out and the rose and everything was rosy. No, he went through his valleys (laughs) of his own making sometimes, right? And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's what I want you to see. God has revealed what he's up to, ultimately. I don't know what he's up to in your life in the certain circumstances you find yourself in, but here's what I know. If you belong to him, here's what I know. Romans eight twenty nine. That's the past. Whom God foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the past. God has revealed what he's always been up to. If you're mine, you're gonna look like my son. You're gonna be conformed to the image of my son. Presently, what has God up to? 2 Corinthians three eighteen. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that once that veil has been removed, we behold the glory of Jesus. And as we behold him, present tense, we are becoming uh, conformed to his image from one degree of glory to the next. Presently, here's, I don't know what God's doing ultimately, like in your circumstance, but here's what he's doing. If you belong to him, presently he's conforming you to his own image, the image of his beloved son. And then finally you have this promise in 1 John 3.2, the future. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when He appears, we're going to be like Him. Because we're going to see Him as He really is. So I don't know what, what you're doing. I don't know what, you know what stops or detours you're taking. But if you're on this train, guess what? You're being conformed to the image of Jesus. You got what you need. You hear me? You have all that you need and then some. For the Lord's portion is his people, Deuteronomy 32 says. For the Lord's portion, you know what that means? The Lord's plate and the helping and the stuff on it. The Lord's jam, the Lord's heart, the Lord's portion is his people. Deuteronomy 32. Then Lamentations 3 says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. So listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about that. The love of God changes us into its own image so that what the Lord says about you, you get to say about Him. God is love, essentially. When this essential love shines freely on us, we reflect it back on Him, like the sun and the moon kind of thing. The Lord loves His people, and we love Him because He first loved us. He has chosen us, and so we choose Him. The saints are precious to Jesus, and those who believe, He is precious to them. Christ lived for us, and for us to live as Christ. We gain all things by his death. For us to die is gain. You see, here's what makes a believer. Here's what makes us sheep in the fold that belong to the shepherd. We smile when he's, we smile back because we see his smile. He smiled first. Like he, we love because he first loved us. He rejoices over us with singing, Zephaniah 3, and so we rejoice, we sing too. We sing as a response. Church, where would we be without the good shepherd. Philippians 4.19 says that, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then Paul, this is my favorite, this is my mic drop favorite verse. Romans 8.32 teaches us that God is the opposite of withholding, for God did not withhold his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? God is not a tightwad. He is rich in mercy and he loves to spend it on you. The heart of God is for you, even if you don't know what his hand is doing. That leads us to the the second thing (laughs) Yahweh protects, the Lord protects his sheep. And I want you to notice, if you look back at the passage, there's a shift here from the third person, he. To you. I just want to make this simple point. It's wonderful to talk about God, and you should talk about God, and you should talk about him to all kinds of folks, but you know what you better do? You better talk to him, and David moves from talking about God to talking to God, and I want you to know you ought to do more talking to God, I myself included, right? we ought to be doing more talking to God and not just about him because it's, there's a danger in being in the South and, and what used to be the Bible Belt is to think that if you're around the church or if you're around God, if you know all the stats, right? The back of the... I, I collected baseball cards growing up. I should have kept them all and sold them, whatever. But um, I don't know where they are. But I could tell you about my favorite players and I could tell you their stats. But guess what? I, didn't, I never got a beer with them. I never went over to their house. I didn't know any of them. Like, we weren't friends. (laughs) That'd have been weird. I was 10 years old. But, you know, I could tell you all about these players, but I knew nothing about an experience with them, okay? So, yes, we should talk about God, but please, please talk to him. When I think of the protection that God offers, though, I want you to see this, too. He offers protection from without and from within, okay? Okay. David says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you think of that, I want you to think of correction or discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. You know, I don't hate my son because I yell at him to get out of the street. I, I, don't, I don't hate my son because I slap his hand when he tries to touch the stove. Right? I discipline him because I don't want him to go th- towards anything that will rob him of life. I want him to flourish. And so I warn him, I discipline, I spank him, I sit him in timeout. Right? My nephew once tried to eat a roach. Who tries to eat roaches? Well, little babies. They pick up, and I slapped his hand, and you would have thought I killed him. He, he welled up, and he started crying, and I was like, I'm never going to get to babysit again. He hates me. Right? It, when, when the shepherd goes after his lost sheep, which we'll see in a second, he tackles them, he wrestles them to the ground, he ties them up, and he throws them over the shoulder. That, the sheep thinks it's dying, right? But God's protecting it from itself. And certainly there's protection from outside as well. That rod and that staff, man. Correction. Poking those sheep. Slapping those sheep upside the head, potentially. Getting them back in line. Don't go over there. Or that rod, David said, he, he took a, a club and clubbed a lion and a bear to death. Are you kidding me? Like Who does that? Jesus talks about the hired hand, who's the shepherd in John 10, and Jesus is comparing himself to the hired hand. He's like, the hired hand is only there for the paycheck. I'm there for the sheep, okay? The hired hand, when a wolf comes, is peace out, right? I I would be eating my sandwich as if I were a shepherd, and that's why I'm not a good savior. I'd be eating my my euro or whatever, and and the, the sheep would just be, I mean, they'd be a buffet. I might warn them, hey, watch out, but that's about it. I'd be up a tree right? I'd be on the run. I'm the hired hand. Jesus is not. And David knows what it's like to fight for his sheep. Think about this. David, you remember that whole David and Goliath episode, 1 Samuel 17? Go back and read it this afternoon for fun. You know what we always leave out with our kids around? That David looks at the giant and says, I'm going to cut off your head and feed it to the birds. And you know what? David doesn't have a sword. He's looking at Goliath's sword, Right? You know why he does that? Here's why he does that as a teenager. He does that because he says, I'm small, but God's big, and you're coming after God, and he's bigger than you, okay? That's the kind of shepherd you have. You even have a better shepherd than David, who doesn't just risk his life for his sheep. Jesus laid it down, right? But guess what? Nobody took it from him because he took it back up. He said, nobody takes this from me. I lay it down only to take it up again, and I have defeated death. I put death to death for you right? And so here's the, here's a great story, true story. Uh, An old teacher of mine told me that um, about a, a father who was with his daughter on the ride to the funeral. Her mom had just died. And on the way there, the father is holding back tears and trying to figure out how he knows his daughter is struggling. He's struggling. He doesn't know what to say to his little daughter. And he's, and he's praying and he's thinking, you know, what do I, how do I cope with this? How do I help my daughter? Lord, I don't know what to do. And right before they, pa- they pull into the cemetery, this 18-wheeler passes their car and casts its shadow over their car. And, the, and it struck um, the dad for a second. He said, hey, sweetheart, would, let me ask you a question. Would, would you rather be hit by that truck or by its shadow? And she like, kind of looked puzzled up at her daddy and said, Daddy, I... The shadow. And her dad looked at her and and he said, baby, I want you to know that because Jesus got hit by the truck of death, mommy only has to go through the shadow. And so I want you to know you will go through, the death rate to my knowledge is still one to one. But listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about death, like your last enemy. He said that because of Jesus, Death is just a gardener that that buries you for you to spring up into new life. Right? Death can't touch you. And that's why, that's why the Apostle Paul says, I'm convinced, which means at one point he wasn't, but I'm convinced that nothing, no created thing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your good shepherd. Nothing can separate you from his love, not even death. No thing in all creation, that means not even you, Christian. Can separate yourself from the love of God. No one, Jesus said, no one, John 10, no one can snatch them from my hand. Then he talks about his father. You want to talk about two-handed? He said, no one can take him from my father's hand either. You have a God who will protect you at all costs, at great cost to himself. Church, where would we be without a good shepherd? God is with us. All right, finally, we've got to land this plane. Uh, Yahweh pursues his sheep. Our third and final point. Y'all know that we're, you know, all we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53. Paul picks up on that in Romans. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no one who does good. We've all gone our own way. But what does Isaiah prophesy and tell us? But that God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And that by his stripes we are healed. Surely he has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrow. Man, his pursuit is relentless in bringing you home. He will leave the 99, he'll leave the banquet, he'll leave the halls of paradise to enter your valley. And he'll throw a party when he brings your butt back. And he will bring it back. So don't get lost, but know that if you do, the only thing you have to be paranoid about is that goodness and mercy are chasing you down. Here's the deal. Every other translation is fine on one level. They all say, if you learned this growing up, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That goodness and mercy, uh, the mercy word, we don't even know how to translate it, so we translate it mercy, we translate it loving kindness, covenant faithfulness, loyalty, love, and all those words are good, but we don't have enough in our language to say, this is God's total heart, guts commitment to you and everything about you, okay? It's his covenant, loyalty, love, the way he feels and determines good for you that he will never turn back on, his never ending, undying, always and forever love that will chase you down. Here's the word I want you to think, pursue. Yeah, preachers, the three Ps, whatever. uh, Provide, protect, pursue. But the Hebrew language, it's, it's way stronger than follow. And here's what I mean by that. I had a little dog, little puppy named Rocky who would follow me into the kitchen. and Then he'd follow me outside. Because he knew that he was gonna get a bone or some water or some food. He would just follow me around, okay? Here's what you need to understand. The Hebrew word here is used for hunting game. It's pursuit, it's chase. So have you ever been hunted or pursued by a lion? Probably not. You wouldn't be here this morning (laughs) if you were. But for the Christian, the only thing you have to be paranoid about is that God's covenant loyalty, his love, his goodness, his mercy, his desire to bless you and flourish you, to cause you to make you look like his own son conformed to his image. That's going to win. That's going to chase you down, and, and that lion always gets his game. Okay, he always, he always hits the target. His pursuit of you is relentless. He won't give up. Jesus offers this to you this morning if you're here and you don't know whether you have a good shepherd. Maybe you've strayed, maybe you've been around the church, maybe maybe you just don't know this morning. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me. All you who weary and are heavy laden, if you're tired and worn out with life, come to me. And I will give you rest. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. John Owen tells us that there's no greater dishonor that we can lay before the Father than to believe he doesn't love us. And I want you to know that Jesus offers you this invitation to come to him and he can only offer you that invitation to come to him because he has already come to you. He has already laid down his life to take it up again. He's already done everything necessary for you to come. And that's the point of this table thing that David and the whole Bible is leading toward. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Have you ever been encircled (laughs) with enemies all around you encamped? Probably not, physically, literally like that. But have you ever felt like you've been on the run? Have you ever been afraid? God says, sit down and eat. I've got it. Man, sit down and eat. Even in the presence of your enemies, you can sit down and not try to scarf down a meal. You can take your time. You can get the oil out. You remember that, the way we started this, our problem talking about you know, we, we think God's stingy, I think he's a tightwad. Um, we think he's not good, that he's withholding. Every sin you and I commit really can be traced down to the root of pride, which is, God, you don't know what you're doing, you're not good enough at it, so I'm gonna do it my way. Right? I'm not gonna trust you and your blessing and your benefit and your flourishing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek life my own way, right? I wanna tell you, uh, when I was in 11th grade, I went up into my attic. And I, uh, I was just searching, I cannot remember to this day what I was looking for, but I found a newspaper clipping. My last name's Husband, opposite of wife, it's a little weird, but uh, I found a newspaper clipping uh, from the 70s that said, Husband leads SEC in hitting. There's a picture of my dad. And uh, so my dad played college baseball, led the SEC in hitting. And uh, I looked at it and in my life flashed before my eyes of like, oh snap, I should have listened to him when he was teaching me how to hit a baseball. You see, I was pretty good. I, you know, I didn't lead the SEC in anything. I didn't play, you, you can look at me and tell me I didn't, I didn't do that, but I remember growing up and dad saying, you know, being encouraging as a coach or teaching me something, and I'd be like, yeah, well, man, I got this, everybody's old man played baseball, right? I didn't know how good my dad was, and so I didn't listen to him, and I didn't benefit from his goodness, right? And so in that moment, I was like, my dad's a stud, and I should have listened to him. (laughs) When you taste and see the goodness of God, that he would prepare a table before you, and he himself would be on that table, and he's inviting you to come, in the presence of this crazy world and and all your enemies, you better hear and know how good he is and experience it for yourself, because that's where this whole thing's headed. And God wants you to be there. God is not this distant deity in a temple he's a father at a table and his son Jesus is pulling up a chair for you and he wants you to sit at that banquet call out to this Shepherd all right let me give you let me give you one point of application because I'm my time's running running thin when you allow yourself to be loved by this good Shepherd and you return that love, let me show you one of the ways that shows up the brightest and the best. And this is an older, wiser pastor who actually opened for Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Temple. Imagine opening preaching for Spurgeon. That's what this guy did, and he said this. If God has such a large heart for you, beware or see that yours is not small for your fellow man. If God's heart is huge for you, If you've had that experience, then how can we have small hearts toward others? Because all of us, all of us know what it is to go through valleys, to experience disappointment. I don't care who you are, life's overwhelming. I don't care how wealthy you are, how poor you are. You got enough sin inside you Right for life to be overwhelming and then you've been sinned against in profound ways Like you are wounded. Yes, and you're a wounder, but you are also deeply wounded and so am I So I don't care where you come from what your background is how systematic the oppression has been or not life's overwhelming right and There are tears and I want you to know that we have a good shepherd who not only sees our tears he promises to store our tears He has shared our tears, and one day he's promised in Revelation to wipe them all away. So even, yes, we should mourn with hope. We should absolutely mourn with hope. But finally one day, when that table's set, Jesus is gonna wipe away our tears. Your good shepherd provides, he protects, and he pursues, and he won't ever stop. That's good news. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that you would not withhold him from us. So Lord, what do we really think you'd withhold if we need it? Give us faith if we don't have it. Help us in the midst of our doubt to run to you and not away from you. Go after the lost sheep, carry them home, and let's have a party. Jesus, Thank you that you would not just risk your life, but you would lay it down. Help us to participate in your life, even now, as we give. Make us generous like you. In Jesus' name, amen.